Lucas La Rochelle is a multidisciplinary designer, artist, and researcher, using their work as a tool to both critique contemporary culture and explore tangible alternatives. Um, design in their work is a critical mediator between the individual, the collective, and the environment. Queering the map. Well, Queering the map. Thank you. So I'm here today to talk about my project, Queering the Map, um, which is a community-generated mapping project that locates queer moments, memories, and histories in relationship to physical space. So the intent of Queering the Map um, is to, or so a very basic um, understanding of how the project works. Um, it uses Google Maps APIs um, with um, an interactive component on top of it. And so people can click anywhere on the map and add text to that point, um, denoting a um, queer memory moment or history. And so the intent, and then it will um, appear on the site in relationship to the place. And so the intent of the project is to keep the definition of queerness and queer space as open to interpretation as possible, so as to resist the increasing neoliberalization of the queer identity. So it's, it's gone from something that's been um, antagonistic to the state into um, something that has become complicit with the state in many ways. And part of that is um, the way in which it's become a marketing strategy or the way in which it's become an identity that someone can purchase, um, inhabit, um, rather than and so that takes it away from a, an act of doing or an act of resisting and into something that one can be. Um, and so I started the project about a year ago. Um, it started in Montreal. Um, and at first it was just my um, immediate community that had um, started to populate areas in Montreal. And then it moved to Toronto, then it moved to Vancouver, then points started to show up in the States. Um, and then it started to um, take off in a pretty significant way in Australia during their yes vote on marriage. And so there was a pretty interesting dialogue within similar spaces between um, a more liberal politic of um, being for gay marriage, being for to a certain extent an assimilation into the state um, versus a more anarcho-queer politic um, occurring within the same spaces. Um, and so it, over a six month period, it gained about 600 posts from those areas specifically. Um, which occurred over the course of a residency that I did at um, the Concordia Fine Arts Reading Room. And then on February 8th, the project went viral, um, and in a period of three days, it went from about 600 points on the map to just over 6,500. Um, and it went from, at least what I saw on Facebook, there was about 300 shares over that six-month period, and then reached over 10,000 within that three days. Um, <clears throat> And so evidently with that kind of visibility, it was met with opposition. And so on the morning of February 3rd, I woke up to discover that Queering the Map had been hacked by Trump supporters who created multiplying pop-ups which read either Make America Great Again or Donald Trump Best President. And so whenever you would click on the map, five more points would pop out of that and recreate these same pop-ups. So I took the site down and I posted on the URL asking if there was anyone that had the coding capability. Um, and actually I asked if there were any master coders, um, to which there were, there was a lot of response. Um, and some master coders, which is obviously not what I am, um, came together to um, help me fix the site. Um, and so about 15 people came together and we set up a GitHub 
Um, and we upped the security as well as added a moderation panel because prior to that, it was essentially an open wound on the internet designed by uh, like someone who had just kind of figured out how to code, um, to be honest. Um, and you could write whatever you want and it would appear on the map because I was operating through this sort of techno-optimistic, nothing is gonna happen. Um, evidently it did and it does. Um, and so we relaunched on April 3rd, um, and as of today, we have over 23,000 points on the map on every single continent, including, though it's not imaged here because this screenshot is a little bit out of date, there's also one on Greenland, just one, but it's there. <laughs> um, and so for this presentation, I want to um, take you through um, the emotional, um, the theoretical, and so the emotional process of the project, the theoretical underpinnings of the project and the research that went into it, um, as well as the project as related to um, the concept of, of fake news and the relationship between fakeness and queerness that I find really helpful in terms of thinking through those questions. So on an emotional level, um, the project starts in relationship to this tree in Parc Jean-Mans, which is a park by my house that I bike by every day on my way to and from school. And it's the tree at which I met my first long-term partner. And it's also the tree at which we returned to have a pretty significant conversation in which I was relatively explosive about my non-binary gender. Um, and so that tree holds for me a significant amount of queer feeling, of queer affect that grounds me in my relationship to the world. And I began thinking as I continued that bike ride, what are the other places that hold that kind of feeling that are spatial? That are spatial? Um, and so there's a shipping container by the house that I grew up in um, where my first partner on and off, kind of maybe not partner, he wasn't out at the time, um, would meet to discuss our relationship and the barriers to its full expression. And so that shipping container holds within it that sort of affect of queer feeling. Um, and then there's a more obvious example, a queer bar by my house in Montreal, um, where I've obviously had numerous um, queer experiences. And so that sort of got me thinking um, into the question of what constitutes a queer space. Um, and so I was, uh, at the time, reading Sarah Ahmed's book, Queer Phenomenology, um, in which she takes up very seriously the, the question of orientation within sexual orientation. So we can obviously think about a sexual orientation as an orientation between one body to another or between one body and multiple bodies, um, but she takes that further to think of queerness as an orientation in space in relationship to architecture, infrastructure, um, et cetera. And so in discussing the relationship between the proto-queer child growing up in the middle class um, heterosexual family home, um, she argues that in such moments when bodies do not extend into space, they might feel out of place, where they have been given a place. Such feelings in turn point to other places, even ones that have yet to be inhabited. And so she's taking up queerness as a phenomenological relationship to the world that is grounded in being on the outside. And so I was interested in, if, we, if we're thinking about queer space that way, um, uh, what, are, 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 what, what thinking about queer space that way, what thinking about alternative relationships to space, architecture, and geography um, could mean. And so I settled on this definition by um, Christopher Reed in his essay, Imminent Domain, in which he argues very simply 
um, that queer space is the collective creation of queer people. So rather than thinking about queer space as something that's located in specific environments, like gay villages, I don't know if, if Amsterdam has a gay village in the same way that Montreal does, but there's a pretty specific kind of divide between a gay, um, the gay village and sort of more queered, um, politically progressive to a certain extent, resisting a neoliberal agenda um, areas within the city. So he, and this obviously very um, simply also relates to queering the map. So he argues, he, he says that he's interested in the way that our traces remain to mark certain places um, or spaces for others to their dislight, delight or discomfort to discover. And so I was interested in what it could feel like to move through an environment that was <clears throat> animated not by my own memories of queer experience, but that of my community. Um, and I obviously never expected it to explode in the way that it did, um, but it's now become this archive of queer experience all across the world in um, multiple languages. Um, and so I then, a lot of these definitions focus on, they were written, there was the like queer spatial turn in the 90s where a lot of queer theory was invested in um, how queer bodies organize themselves in space. Um, and I was really interested in, in sort of reanimating that research in relationship to how digital technology, um, specifically dating apps, um, have changed the way that we think about queer space. And so um, an early sort of example of this is the Minitel, um, which is a French precursor to the internet um, that works using a video text system that's connected to a computer via telephone lines. Um, which creates a network. And so it was a particular interest to French lesbian activists in terms of um, animating and finding community outside of geographical limitations. Um, and so it, it, it contributed to the, um, to, the, to the emergence of an imagined community. And so I was really interested in, in, in figuring out other ways to animate that sort of radical use of technology. And so then fast forward about 35 years and we have Grindr. Um, which is a really exciting platform. Um, and so Grindr very obviously reorients the ways in which queer bodies are relating to each other and the way that in which queer bodies, specifically gay male bodies, um, are relating to each other and relating to architecture. Um, and so I was really um, fascinated by Chase Onsbuck's argument that in many ways Grindr delinks the significance of these spaces being gay spaces, such as gay bars and bathhouses from their physicality, constructing a portal of gay space in the pocket of every user. Accessible from anywhere, queerness is no longer housed in the material spaces of gayborhoods or bars. Grindr expands gay space as an always in motion phenomenon that exceeds the material limits of areas traditionally considered heteronormative. And so I wanted to use some examples from Queering the Map to um, speak to the uh, particularly revolutionary potential of the internet in terms of mediating queer bodies and their relationship to space and relationship to community. Um, and so one of the points which I'm gonna have to, that's way too small, I'm just gonna have to stand over here to read that. So this is in Montreal, and I'm not gonna stand there, I'm gonna stand here. Um, so it says, I get called slurs at school so I do research, so I research them at home. I find a forum online, make a post, and start to create a sense of my own identity. I'm 10. And then another post in Montreal, I'm 13. You tell me that your friend saw me in a picture through MSN and asked who that cute boy was. I pretend to find it funny that someone thought I was a boy, but it gave me hope. 
It meant the world to me then and still does now. You probably won't remember this, but I hope you're doing well, Summer Girl, which I presume is an internet name and not someone's real name. Um, then we have another one in Cupertino, which says, when I was 12 years old, I saw you on Tumblr and went home and made my own account, which led me to queer fandom communities. I realized I was a lesbian, and then I realized I was non-binary. It was more complicated timeline than that, with plenty of back and forth and trying things out, but this is where I've ended up. I thank you for changing my life by being the one queer friend I had IRL. Thank you, Sam. And so then, um, on the island of Mayotte, um, we have something that's perhaps, um, or is a pretty intense relationship to the internet in terms of how it animated the meeting of between queer bodies. Um, and so it says, an internet, the internet was a social revolution in this island. I met her because of internet. It was a secret relationship, the first year we met each other in the local hotels. I'll never forget the face of some people looking us when we went out to the room. The second year was more secret, more difficult. Anyway, it was a wonderful experience, so hard, so strong. The queer experience made us stronger. And then, one of the things that I've been particularly interested in how this project has developed is the ways in which anonymity um, allows for visibility beyond recognition. Um, and so, um, obviously, the, 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 the history of queerness, um, much of it has been invested in a visibility politic, in a, in a representation politic. Um, and so on the island, uh, or sorry, not on the island, on ports in Port Said in Egypt, there's a post that reads, so the truth is I've never actually been to Egypt. My family is from Port Said and we left as refugees before I was born. None of us has, uh, have ever been back, but I am trans and my family is from Port Said and I want the world to know that we exist. And so continuing this desire for representation in outside of Dar Salaam in Tanzania, there's a post that reads, I came out to my best friend here. Of course, she immediately asked me if I was attracted to her. It was a selfish question. Although I want others to know that we exist in Tanzania. And so one of the things that we can see from some of these posts is there is an obvious desire for visibility, um, but the history of visibility in relationship to particularly the queer subject um, is quite a fraught relationship. And so, I was really interested in um, Martine Sims' notion that representation is a form of surveillance. And so I wanted to sort of use this as the way through which to speak to the way that Queering the Map is designed um, in terms of allowing for a visibility um, that attempts to resist surveillance. Um, so as I said before, the history of imaging the queer body particularly um, stems from the history of visu visualizing pathology. Um, and a really uh, effective um, history of this vis-a-vis -vis, um, HIV AIDS visual culture is Stuart Marshall's film Bright Eyes, in which he traces the history of um, imaging the queer body as a means for the medical system to pathologize or to find um, physical characteristics of the queer person um, so as to eradicate them vis-a-vis -vis medical technologies. Um, and so this is particularly relevant in the case of um, the history of HIV AIDS in North America in terms of the way that data um, was used and skewed in relationship between, and relationships between text and image augmented. Um, we got headlines such as, gays conspired to infect society. Gays accused of sabotage. 
what the gay plague did to handsome Kenny. And this is a particular, I mean, the, 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 the conversation around fake news is particularly relevant in terms of um, Gaetan Dugas, who was conveniently a Quebecois um, man who was identified, misidentified, obviously, um, as patient zero. So he was sort of blamed or made the scapegoat for bringing HIV to North America. This has obviously been debunked because there's no way of figuring out the single person that, that started a, um, a disease. Um, but evidently, that was of no. That it's more exciting to pathologize the queer body than it is to um, resist that kind of narrative. Um, and so, during the AIDS crisis, there's there was, um, or there has been something that's come to be defined as the epistemic shift, um, in which there was a turn from um, an optimistic approach to um, beating the disease into a more negative or nihilistic um, approach to to the problem. And so Derek Jarman takes up the sort of the inability for the queer subject to be made legible in a way that um, was beneficial um, by resisting um, imagery entirely. So his film Blue, I don't know if anyone has ever seen Blue, but the whole film looks like this. Um, the subtitles change, but that's it. You're just looking at a blue screen. And so this comes out of the urge to resist the representation of the queer body because there are arguments that the queer is, is not able to be signified. Um, there's no way to do it in a way that isn't always putting it in negative relation to heteronormativity. Um, and so this is particularly relevant in, in thinking through fake news using this definition in terms of fake news stories begin with fictive content often with an intended direction or audience, but also with a desire to destabilize dominant conditions or opinions. We can chart the data again and again, but this often only plays on the hand of media that backs its production, with data geared toward whichever point it wishes to purport. So actually, that was what I was supposed to say before uh, these guys, um, but that's relatively self-evident. Um, and so I wanted to think about what the ways of doing representation, doing representation of the queer body within um, an, an image-based culture that resisted the sort of um, definition of the singular queer subject and rather to move it towards a collective understanding of queerness. Um, and so one of the ways that I'm exploring that is through creating um, prints in which I'll take stories from Queering the Map and put them in relationship um, to Google Maps Street View imagery um, of an incorrect location um, to speak to the, the sort of the, the inability for the subject to be made legible through this kind of um, apparatus while simultaneously um, making an appeal to thinking about space as being queered and that these experiences occur in all kinds of spaces um, in all parts of the world in, in different contexts. Um, and so to speak, to speak maybe further to the way that Querying the Map is designed, um, when you enter the webpage, there's no login, there's no, um, there's no user profile that's created. Um, it's entirely anonymous by design. Um, ideally, people would be accessing it in a way that is removing their IP address, but I, as of yet, don't know how to um, control that. Um, and I think in terms of speaking to the role that anonymity plays in sort of resisting the pathology um, and the surveillance that something like representation inevitably brings um, was articulated better than I could in, a, um, in an article um, that was written about the project by Amar Singh of Ruthless Magazine. 
um, in which he says that it might sound like a strange aspiration to be anonymous. Maybe it's also strange that a project that assigns its participants blanket anonymity provides exactly the conditions necessary to give a diverse and persecuted demographic visibility. But anonymity is distinct from invisibility. It presupposes a crowd in which to lose oneself, with which to be amalgamated. Perhaps it touches on a sense of belonging that so many of us have lacked in our formative years in an othering world. In the case of Queering the Map, anonymity is the basis of our ability to become known. And so I wanted to conclude my presentation um, by reading a particularly pertinent post on Queering the Map, and particularly pertinent given um, that this week, and I think next week, is the 33rd International AIDS Conference, which is being held in Amsterdam. Um, and in, in memory of all of the people, queer or otherwise, that we lost to AIDS and continue to lose to AIDS and those living with the virus today. Um, so this is a point in Montreal, which reads, it's written in French and English, I'll just read it in English. This is where it happened. After a few first meetings where everything went well, you decided this time to use your body weight and put me in a cage forever. I was paralyzed. It was the first time that I was penetrated without a condom. You knew it, it had been clear between us. You lied to me. I am actively campaigning against the criminalization of HIV positive people. In the community, it is argued that no one should be prosecuted for HIV exposure, except in the case of voluntary transmission. Every time we say that, basically these cases do not really exist. Every time I think of you, I won't prosecute you. As much as I am against the criminalization of HIV-positive people, I'm equally against the criminalization of mentally ill people. I learned in the months that followed the diagnosis that you are bipolar, schizophrenic, and depressive. The irregular intake of all of your medication is the cause of your contagious viral load that infected me. You killed a part of me. I brought another one to life. My serologic status is today a pride that pushes me forward. All of the evil that you made me go through has been tests that I overcame and that are the foundations of my esteem, my self-love, my whole being, and my queer identity. Goodbye. Thank you. I had one question that I'm not sure, I didn't understand, um, but please elaborate. Again, we'll come back to it in the last talk, I guess, but why, what was this thinking of using Google Maps for this project? I mean, there are other tools that I understand that a map is needed, but it also says the map, as though there is a map, which in this case is the Google Map, and you use this to inscribe your whole community project. Why is that? What's yeah. the thinking that goes into that? Yeah. Because I was interested yeah. in the use of Google Maps um, as a surveillance tool mm -hmm. and thinking about how surveillance can be queered um, and how um, sort of objective top-down understandings of um, spatial data can be queered through subjective um, mm -hmm. experience and so then fucking with the sort of inability for something like this to produce um, consumable data in the way that something like Google Maps does. And I guess the choice of yeah. the map, which is not something that I've necessarily thought about before, but I, maybe I would articulate it in terms of, of a sort of like histories of queer utopianism, of like building right. another world mm -hmm. that is queer, so this is the map. Right. It's maybe yeah. a little bit precocious, but yeah. I'll go for it. Yeah. Um, the map of, of yeah. queerness. So, right, exactly, okay. So the surveillance, because obviously even although 
addresses are not yet on, uh, uh, um, deleted again, but even if they were deleted, then still there's, of course, a whole spatial configuration now, which is uh, yeah, datafied and readable, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. So, but um, do you feel that uh, your position is kind of, I mean, obviously this is the case for anybody who's there, who uses this and ha kind of, uh, feels this feels now this spatial net to be other than it was before. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it goes for uh, everybody who's participating. But f from the outside perspective, from uh, let's say the Google perspective or the non-queered, non-queering people, do you think this is um, uh, what is the gesture uh, f from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is a question that I asked my parents. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So that I could better, because I don't think that I could speak yeah. to that experience, because I'm obviously so invested in it, um, and as well, and I think the sentiment was kind of echoed by people in my immediate community that it also becomes a a, a tool for learning a perhaps more nuanced um, relationship to queer identity that sort of removes the need for like for queer people to continuously being because there's sort of like there's the understanding of like in a liberal context that like the queer person is born, the queer person is in the closet, the queer person comes out, the queer person is then happy forever and ever and ever and nothing ever goes wrong. That's not true. Um, and so something like this, people being able to tell their stories and having those stories accessible um, for people outside of queer communities um, perhaps allows for a, a larger engagement with, with empathy um, and a more nuanced understanding of, of what it means to be a queer person in the past and the present and in the future. So there are also a lot of non-queer people actually consulting this map. I mean, my parents, I think, are yeah, other people's parents. Yeah, yeah. and other people's parents, and yeah. and, and, and yeah. yeah, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure there are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anybody else wants to ask a question to Lucas? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Can you tell a little bit about how you uh, moderate the comments? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a there's a group of ten moderators. Um, and we moderate for hate, spam, and unsafe content. And the unsafe content is defined as names, addresses, um, or yeah, names, addresses, and there's another thing that I forget. Um, yeah, and so it's collaboratively reviewed, and then if there's anything that comes up that we're not sure about, then we post it in a group chat and have a collective conversation as to whether or not it should be added. And then there's also a note on the about section of the map in which people can um, demarcate points that they don't think should be there, and then they get flagged for review. So the attempt is for it to be as community-generated as possible, and I think in terms of how it develops, um, the moderation process would become even more open um, yeah. Anastasia, I would like to ask you also to respond to this project as a potential an example or maybe also an odd example to uh, the, let's say, theoretical user positions that you've just been laying out in your talk. Would you be able to do that? I think... Um yeah, one of the things I was trying to think through also with this kind of impossible question of my project is like, what can actual users do, they, especially the ones that are not technically equipped that much or like they don't have a knowledge of protocols and stuff. So um, then I was thinking, okay, if user is simulated and the user has a profile and it, like, and then it exists in such a sterile environment that you are a user and you has this, like, 
why why do why for example we cannot start sharing one profile or why can't we you know like the anonymity becomes also something that explored within maybe like exchange of of uh, data which is not like sterile and, and divided mm -hmm. so that was some, some thoughts i had and um yeah i think your example is also really great in terms of um yeah addressing like how yeah anonymity but also um yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the kind of the collective uh, yeah. approach to appropriating also uh, the tools and mechanisms that are already at, mm -hmm. at play. So like the Google Maps, like it's been, I, for a long time I've been a proponent of idea of like how do we reappropriate which is already there, you know, if you have a GPS um, thing and like why don't you use it to your own advantage to make money, you know, like or it doesn't have to be about making profit but it can also be value, towards yeah. value or towards um, maybe a different kind of yeah benefit which in their mm -hmm. sense ways collective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> did you recognize what you did in uh, Anastasia's story? Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, in terms <laughs> of, yeah, like in, in a, I mean I would use like, yeah. yeah. Um, I was uh, also intrigued by your first question, that's our first uh, statement, actually, that this was a project about uh, resisting the neoliberalization of the, gay, the queer identity. Mm -hmm. is, there is no the queer identity, obviously, yeah, that's why it's queer, but mm -hmm. um, uh, on the other there hand, There are you so do many people that you uh, could say that to and they could learn something from that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I, I, yeah I'm always open to learning. But, uh, um, um, on the other hand, you do, uh, by putting this on the map, the Google map, uh, you do contribute to this uh, datification of the queer, uh, of queer identities. Um, as I stand corrected. Um, uh, no, 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 oh no, I wasn't correct. I was just saying that that is true. Oh, and that there okay, are many sorry. people that don't okay. necessarily think that okay, way. Sorry. And so it's, yeah, no, okay, not correcting okay, you at all. I'll say queer identities to be precise, yeah. So you do kind of play a role now in the identification of queer identities. So how does, I mean, I understand that this is, well, yeah, we can call it a hack. I was actually one point that since this whole interface was open from the beginning, like the, 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 the MAGA people were not actually hacking, they were just using. Right? Yeah, they were just spamming they it. They were not appropriating actually, but uh, never mind that. So you are contributed to the datification of queer identity. So how does that sit? I mean, yes, I understand the intention, but there are different layers to it. There must be, there is something you're giving away also, which. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's the sort of, that's the, the question that I'm, that I'm trying to contend with of when there is this desire for representation, the internet does an incredible thing in terms of um, allowing the proliferation of queer identities in, in new and different contexts. Um, that there's obviously going to be a trade-off and something like Queering the Map is definitely towing that line of what is the trade-off of um, having access to um, queer stories that are often not made legible in the same way that um, other stories are made legible. Um, and so trying to figure out the ways to do, um, to, to accomplish that desire for visibility and the, the tangible work that it does in terms of keeping people alive, very frankly, um, with the resistance to the collection of yeah. data. But there's, I want to mention something that I think we'll come back to also in the other talks a little bit. So there's this, 
on the one hand, right now, the, the whole, let's say, the setup of, of, of tonight's uh, talks, of the, this afternoon's talks, the fake, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, um, disinformation campaigning and the whole political landscape that this is part of is, uh, the, like the middle is abandoned. At the same time, uh, both your stories seem to address a kind of implicit mainstream position, which is then to be uh, enriched. So we're somehow we're in two different we're happening in two different stories now. At one hand, we're positioning ourselves within our own bubble and celebrating our own variety of identities, but still within well, I would say probably largely uh, not disagreeing. We're very clearly in a bubble here. Uh, at the same time, we're imagining for our own political positioning, we're imagining a mainstream that still needs to be convinced of anything, but that mainstream seems to be disappearing. Uh, that, that, that overarching narrative is no longer there. So how does this sit with you? I mean, I'm also referring to the talk of Louis later on a little bit, who is talking about peer-to-peer -peer nets, which is really about basically establishing your own spaces. So not trying to imagine a mainstream that needs to be appropriated or convinced of anything, but really just go somewhere else. So uh, this is also not the user position that you've been addressing. And, and I was thinking of the, the citizen as maybe the old-fashioned a uh, variety of this one, so the participant responsible, self-creating, autonomous, uh, um, let's say, yeah, having a high degree of agency type of person. Uh, within the user frame that you're using, this seems to be m more or less impossible by the definition of uh, being part of this, the, the GAFA stack, the tech giants platforms. And, but, and that's, that's the background of my question about Google Maps. So you're also addressing the mainstream. At the same time, why? Do we still believe the mainstream needs to be appropriated? A lot of questions. So it was a long, <laughs> yeah, but it was actually only <laughs> one <laughs> question, but it's a long introduction, okay. sorry. Yeah. I will try the question to is, does the mainstream okay. need to be appropriated, or why not create our own spaces? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, of course, yeah. This is a really important question. How do you, if even if you decide to appropriate something that's more maybe accessible in terms of even just interfaces, because a lot of own spaces, which we what we call, are also quite techno, uh, well, tech technical, I would say. So in a way that are less, they they seem they may seem to be a bit more obscure and less uh, handy. And um, if we talk about like um, maybe um, addressing the people. Who, like not the mainstream because yeah I don't think so the mainstream exists. A, but even if I actually addressing uh, someone like our parents, which I also have tried mm -hmm. with my project, and then I discovered that my dad is actually the perfect example of this kind of quantified self movement. So he he tracks literally everything, he publishes everything online, and he has all these devices that allow him to be kind of like the super um, yeah create a lot of um, data and. And then I tried to explain to him that this is not empowering in some way, but actually he loses something. And then it was very, very difficult. But then um, a bit unrelated to that is that I think they using the mainstream, let's say, platforms, and also why I'll come back to kind of reappropriation <laughs> of thinking of, okay, maybe it's, it's for the, um, maybe it's not even effective because anyway you contribute to the same system and anyway you are uh, probably don't have much impact on the individual level. But it's maybe it's and now it only has or mainly has a value on a, in term kind of having a narrative or like creating a story. So like this kind of project that I show, you know, they're quite funny. But then uh, what they actually um, like try to do is to um, create a narrative that could be more accessible, basically. So more like easily understood. Also um, by my dad, who would like maybe understand the Google Map thing, but then he would never use a. Uh, open source map just because it's way too complicated and his friends are not on it. So, 
Uh, yeah, I get it. Gets. Yeah, it's that's a <laughs> helpful way of thinking about like reframing the mainstream as not something because inevitably the articulation of something, the articulation of queerness, always will bring it into the mainstream. There's always like we can never exist outside of capitalism. Sadly, probably that's probably the truth. Um, but so, but there's still the necessity to make those kinds of changes. And so something like, I mean, for example, like what is happening on Queering the Map in terms of the urgency of the things that people are sharing. Um, and, and I also have to say in terms of like, I wouldn't, like, Queering the Map was not set up for, in terms of thinking about like imagining a different world. I very much imagined Queering the Map as a different world. But I think there would be a problematic in shutting that world off to, because in shutting that off, it would be like, what would, one of the questions that came up when we were recoding the website would, was like, should there be a um, CAPTCHA system that's like designed for queer people? But then that falls into the same traps as like, who are the winners of RuPaul's Drag Race? And so there's like a problematic in trying to make that divide. And then I think there's also value in not necessarily appealing to the mainstream, but relating to or being, or, or, or allowing for a relation to the mainstream in terms of, and specifically something like through anonymity, um, I'm sure there are a lot of people that in their real life don't identify as queer because of the sort of way that queerness has become this like monolithic to a certain extent, like anti-identity that are then able to articulate queerness and that relationship to the collective queer allows people to in, inhabit that kind, of, that kind of politic. Of course, that also allows for it to become part of the neoliberal machine, but I think it also animates the more radical potential or the disruptive potential of, of queerness. So, is there, so this, even though those platforms, I mean, at the same, at the same time, they represent a, let's say, normalizing, in the, in the violent sense, a normalizing tendency, normalized technologies, protocolic power. This is how you do it. There's no other way. At the same time, these, these, these powers, these platforms, offer all these different kinds of identities to exist at the same time. So um, at the same time, this is what breaks society apart right now, as we speak, which is why we're talking about. So. Um, Maybe, I'm not sure if I should ask you this question, but uh, maybe to think about it, to, to revisit later after the, uh, after the other talk. So, is there a way to reconcile these positions? So, I, I, I agree that mainstream is not the right word. I mean, the whole word does not, uh, belongs to mass media in a way. It does not belong to the, to the new media at, at, at all. So, it's, it's a bit of a complicated term. But is there a way to reconcile this uh, resistant user positions, this uh, citizen-driven uh, or uh, create world building, I would call it, uh, generating other worlds rather than just uh, uh, carefully inhabiting the one that's uh, violently rolled over us. Um, is there a way to reconcile the, the current uh, stack world with the uh, resistant world building without separating off? So I, I want to leave you with that question. Unless you have a... <laughs> it's, it's my question also. I guess everybody's question to some extent. Like, should we really try to kind of break off and do our own things elsewhere or should we still try to save this world one way or another? Yeah. Uh, more, more. Ah. I find that the, the anxiety of always creating a platform that has to accommodate all kinds of identity is very worrisome. And then it's basically, sorry to say that, it's really like, um, I read this article that was really amazing, pointing out all the platform designs and 
creating this kind of anxiety in terms of inclusiveness, basically create, uh, making the whole society cannot get out of the primary mechanism. I also think that that is how we approaching user agency, because user agency is about how you having the ability to create a narration. Uh, the idea of infrastructure always, uh, like, the violence about mainstream or any kind of uh, uh, supposed infrastructure is we always assume it's the default, it includes everything, and it, it's open, it's no, it's wrong. It's like the idea, like, it always has this, uh, the, the problem with like this kind of inclusiveness as the default setting, and therefore no angle can be uh, can be pulled out, can be noticed, and therefore like no no one has agency. So I think that we should get rid of that anxiety. We should grow up. We should grow out and of the big mistake and develop stories, develop and, narratives, and and believe that we can all take the ground, and then also be okay with someone else having a different idea of the world and then it has nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm okay with that. Let's revisit it. I think pretty much. Yes. 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 I think we have to. Great. Yes. <laughs> I think you're right, yeah.